welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 12 and today I get to talk to my two children. So my 18-year-old and my 21-year-old are my guests today and they talk about what it was like growing up but more importantly they share I guess their insights being that little bit older about their experiences around managing tech, sibling rivalry, schoolwork, and a whole host more. And what I would say, and I know we emphasize this through the interview, is that whilst they sound like really rounded sort of adults, which of course they are now, we still had the same trials and tribulations that you as parents are going through. The tears and tantrums that my daughter had when doing her spellings one day on the way to school, the conversations about the fact that clearly I love Charles more than her, all of those things that we typically experience have been no different for me. But what I really wanted to share really was their insights from a child's perspective as to how those experiences shaped their lives and also to help us really, in some ways, take some of the guilt out of all of that kind of angst and worry that we so often feel as parents that we're either not making those right decisions. So I do hope that you enjoy it. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if we could get your feedback, particularly if you found it useful. I'm sure I can persuade them to come back on again. So if you'd like any of the free resources, then of course, hop over to drmaryhan.com forward slash library pop in your email address and get instant access to all of the resources. And as ever, if you enjoy this podcast episode, I'd love it if you could follow and review so that others can find us uh, so we can spread the love. So here are Charles and Catherine. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. I'm part excited, part slightly anxious as I have both my children here answering your questions and some of mine too. So let's start off with some introductions. To my left, I have Catherine, who's 18. Hello. And to my right, I have Charles, who is 21. Hello. Welcome, both of you. I don't think this is probably going to be their most favourite experience and possibly not mine either, but let's see how we get on. Um, Before we launch into some of the questions that we've been asked, I guess the whole purpose of today and I guess just keep it in your mind so my children have not been prepped they've got absolutely no idea what questions they're going to get asked and I want them to be honest and truthful so there may well be some embarrassing moments in it they may not be but I guess what I want you both to remember in the context of your answers really is that parents have an awful lot of guilt as you know in terms of raising their children and they don't always get stuff right it's kind of the best job that you do with the information that you have at the time so when you're kind of answering the questions, it would be really helpful for you to kind of be thinking from a from the perspective of a parent as well, of your experiences growing up, how might that be helpful? So just to start stuff off, Catherine, I'm going to ask you first, so you're in the hot seat. <laughs> Is there anything that you think of now as an 18-year-old who's about to go off to university, when you think of your childhood when you were younger that you think was probably one of the most valuable lessons that you learned from your parents growing up? I think one of the most valuable lessons I learned is to embrace me and be myself, whatever in whatever context context, sorry, that may be. I was blessed by the fact that, you know, both my parents raised me with, you know, gender neutral toys, you know, they both taught me how to cook, they both taught me how to bake, and they gave me very 
cool and very valuable life lessons that I still use now. How would you say, when you think about your journey of being you, how easy has that been? Because I'm saying it from the perspective of obviously as a girl, as a female, there's a huge amount of pressure. I mean, obviously there's a huge amount of pressure on boys too, and I'll talk to Charles about that. But as a female, I'd imagine there's an awful lot of pressure, particularly with social media. How have you navigated that process of being you? Particularly in the, I'm thinking of parents that are gonna be listening to this with maybe a four-year-old that cries every time their parents take them to school, they don't wanna be separated, or a seven-year-old that won't go to any clubs or activities because they're really nervous about making friends. How do you, when you think back at your childhood of those difficult times, as well as the straightforward times, to discover you, how did that work? It's definitely not an easy question to answer. And my experience will be completely different to yours or to anyone listening. And for me, it was just learning to find my own comfort and my own comfort zones. So I was, exactly the same, very nervous about going to clubs, very nervous about going to new schools. But I just, along the way, I just realized that I need to speak to myself first and realize this is what I do, this is what I do well. Therefore, I'm going to do all of my own stride and take steps to make sure that I am happy as opposed to forcing something and then it go wrong and then I retreat. It's just learning to be true to yourself and not trying to put on the face or put on a facade of someone that you aren't. Yeah. And connecting to who you are but how did that can you remember a pivotal age that 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 you felt more you i think i moved schools from a school that i really wasn't happy at and i moved to a very very nice school that i ended up loving mm-hmm. and it was at that moment i knew i didn't have to try to be someone i wasn't to gain friends and to be less nervous and be less anxious it was just about being myself and I think that was the moment I knew. And it was quite late on, I was around 13, but I knew this is where I'm happy, this is where I am. It was lovely. So what would you say to a parent who's got a child that is not feeling very confident? I think you've got to learn to take in the child's steps. Your, let's say the parent's ways of dealing with their anxiety is gonna be completely different to the way that the child's feeling. And you've got to find a medium that works for the child as well as for the parent, as opposed to trying to let's say for something the way that the parent would do it and actually the child not liking it okay yeah so very much focusing it on from the child okay yeah. brilliant charles from your perspective now as a 21 year old that's about to go into your last year at university and then i guess the big wide world of work what's the one thing that you think of that is really stuck with you from what from your childhood it's understanding that some things you don't particularly want to do or don't see the point in doing at the time but perhaps as you get older or afterwards you realise that it's quite important it's valuable taught you lessons life you know experiences all that good stuff you might not enjoy at the time but when you come out the other side you can look back at it and think ah I've actually developed I've grown as a person or whatever yeah are there any particular things that you can think of as a child that you didn't particularly like doing or want to do that you're grateful for now again it's similar to Catherine about the clubs going to the clubs going to the extracurricular stuff which at the time I can understand people's frustration with going especially young children who might not enjoy that when there's offers of just going out and playing but you've got to take these things in your stride and 
Do you think that they... Well, let me ask... I'll ask you this question, Charles, and then I'll ask you, Catherine, because I would imagine there's a lot of parents that will feel really guilty. They want, for whatever reasons, it may well be that they want their children to go to clubs because they need to go to work, particularly in the summer holidays, or they want their children to go to clubs because they want them to expand their interests. And then they've got a child who is beyond distraught or belligerent, doesn't want to go. As a parent... There's often that you're constantly in that conflict of guilt of if I force my child, am I going to scar them for life? And if they don't go, are they not going to mature and develop in lots of those different ways? When you think, because I'm sure there were times where you went to places that you didn't particularly want to go. I guess from a parent's perspective, who might be listening to this. Has it scarred you? I'm going to ask Charles first. When you think of the stuff that you were forced to do that you probably didn't want to do, is that something that you still, that is has scarred you and damaged you? Not really. To be honest, and as a parent, you're never going to get it 100% right all the time. You're going to get things, you know, wrong. And that's assuming there is a right and a wrong way. But no, not really. There's nothing that's stuck with me and thought, oh, mum, wish mum and dad never made me do that. You sort of, you roll with it. Yeah, so from a pet, so I guess from a parent's perspective who might be listening to this, it's having that confidence to know that whilst it might feel huge at the time, your child is yeah. not going to grow up to a 21-year-old. Exactly. Priorities change, and what you, what might seem a big deal when you're seven, eight, nine, it's not going to matter in the slightest when you turn 18, 19, 20, and you move on from there. Catherine, is there anything that you can... I mean, there's nothing really that I can think of. I mean, I am... Oh, I'm she's smiling. There clearly is a story from um, her childhood she can remember. I, I mean, I again, this is like one exception. I was I very distinct memories maybe not so fond of being dragged around garden centers i mean <laughs> that's the only one i think of think of however now looking back on it i will still go to a garden center with you i offer quite frequently to go and it's just learning that yes you know me as a eight-year-old being dragged around garden centers looking at flowers it was a big deal to me then but now it's funny to look back on and laugh but, and it's also some nice time I get to spend with um, you know, with parents as well. You see, yeah. Well, you see, I've on that thought. I, <laughs> it's weird because now I'm actually almost quite excited to have my own garden and do it in my yeah. own way. And I genuinely do not think I would have I would have that if it weren't for the yeah. being dragged, kicking and screaming through gardens when <laughs> I was younger. Genuinely, yeah. so, yeah. it is. But I guess that highlights that you're both. You know, you were dragged around garden centres yes. at the same time, pretty much. <laughs> But actually how it does affect you very differently. Because certainly when you were younger, Catherine, you used to talk a lot about how I had traumatised you <laughs> for life around being dragged around garden centres. But obviously it is, and I guess from a parent's perspective, it's understanding that different it's going to affect you differently. Yeah. Different, Your children are going to be affected I mean, differently. Yeah, well, Catherine and I have the exact same experiences and we've come out Similarly, different, different people. Different, different people, people, different outlooks on those experiences. You're excited to get your own garden. I'm not as excited. <laughs> Okay, let's launch into some of these questions that have come through because I think this is quite an important one. So I would so we've got a question here that would love to know how you have dealt with social media and if that had a negative impact on you in any way. Charles, I'm going to ask you first. Well, I didn't get social media until a bit later, and I was a bit slower to get them. Like it was Facebook, and then it was a few years till Snapchat and Instagram. A bit later on. How old were you? Can you just so that people I know? Was the, I was, think I was 13 for Facebook and then around 15, 16 for like Snapchat and Instagram, I think. I'm not too sure. I think it's just being careful what you post, to be honest, um, is the most important thing. Yeah, you don't want to deal with some stuff that you've posted in the past. 
in the future, especially at the minute. How did you learn that lesson, though? Was that something that I drummed into you, or was it something that you learned from bitter experience, or from your peers telling you? Well, you were, obviously you were telling us the dangers and the benefits of these social medias, but for me it was seeing it happen to other people, in the news, in friends, it was, uh, it's real, it can happen, and this is how it goes down. So that really is what drilled it into me. But obviously, listening to years. Banging on about it. <laughs> no. But that's interesting. So, for you, the most valuable lesson has been about understanding, I guess, the idea that you've got a digital footprint yeah, beyond exactly. that moment. Exactly. What might seem funny to post at the time can get you in heaps of trouble later on. Or, you know, just got to be careful. Yeah. Okay. So, that's a bit. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Also, being able to take breaks from it, vital. So especially at uni friends and I big fan of just turning the phone off or giving it to someone not having it for the day two days whatever that does a lot of benefits for mental health and physical health to be honest because you're not just sat there looking at screen for eight hours a day how do you do that I know there are going to be so many parents listening to this who've got the same problem of sort of feeling that they're banging their heads against a brick wall because their children are constantly on tech how do you as a parent is it something that you can do as a parent or does nagging doesn't doesn't change anything it's something that the child's got to learn from themselves or i think it's most beneficial when you learn for yourself but that's how i've approached a lot of things is when i do it for myself i feel like i learn more than when it's done for me or shown to me the only way at the end of the day you can get off a screen is by turning it off um but you could be sneaky with it you could turn the wi-fi off you could there's ways and means but the end of the day it's as long as you're away from the screen the benefits there yeah i guess it's just thinking it's very difficult yeah it's difficult yeah is that from your perspective is there because i i would have thought that there's quite there are differences between the way that males and females use tech and the way that males and females might use social media are you do you find that you use your device to be on social media a lot, or are you using it for other things? I'm using it, I'm on social media just to pass the time. Because you know, addictive, you know, easy just to pick it up, turn it on, next thing you know, you've lost an hour, two hours. Well, I'm not really using it for any specific purpose other than to sort of just whittle away the hours. So how do you self-regulate? I realise that I've been on there too much, especially using the, on the iPhones, it tells you how much time you've spent on your screen, on what apps, it's being aware of that. There's that, that's what scared me into not using it, to be honest. Okay, so that could be, for parents, that could be a way that yeah. they could encourage their children to regularly check that? Regularly check that, you can set timers on it, you can, so you can set, oh, social media you can only have two hours on, for games you can only have three hours, YouTube a certain number of hours, and then you could tailor that towards a scenario where you feel that they're getting a good balance of screen and off screen. Okay, brilliant. Catherine, how about you, social media for you? I mean, I'm coming at it obviously for slightly because I got it when I was slightly older. So I remember that I think I get it. I got Instagram when I was around 15, I want to say. And I ended up getting Snapchat when I was 17. Obviously, I'm approaching it from a very different point as um, Charles because I am, and I will, you know, I will freely admit this to anyone, I am the worst. And both Charles and Mum can back <laughs> me up on this point. I am not good with it. And it is an issue that. You know, I'm very open about because I know it is an issue and I know I need to work on it. But I think also come from a perspective of a girl, it's very different because I'm cautious, well, maybe not cautious with my time on it as much as Charles. I'm very cautious with what I look onto it. 
and what I use it for. So for example, Instagram, I know there's a lot of my friends who follow a lot of these kind of um, models and I know that as someone who doesn't really engage in that sort of thing, I don't really want to follow it because it can be very, very damaging for um, for lots of young girls and for lots of young boys as well to see this like idealistic and I think with Instagram especially, it's one picture or it's a collection of pictures, it's a moment as opposed to your whole the whole scenario. You know, the picture that I post is one specific time frame rather than the entire story. And it's making sure that, you know, we tell young people that what you see on social media isn't what they're like in real life. You know, you look on my social media, that is not how I am in real life. It's completely different and it's learning to differentiate those two. And in that way, it can be incredibly toxic. And, you know, while I may not know about time on social media and learning to regulate it, I am learning to regulate what I look at and making sure that I don't put myself in a position where I then feel not compromise, I think compromise is the wrong word, where I feel like I'm not good enough. Mm. You're uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How does that come about, though? Because if all of your friends are following certain people, is this part of your personality or is this something that you've learnt? I think it's a tiny bit of both. I'm very different to a lot of the people that I'm friends with. I use Instagram mainly to check up on what I'm doing. I check up on a couple of new, um, news on there and I don't use it to follow... Well, a celebrity to a point, but I don't use it to follow, let's say, like a certain model or a certain actress, and I follow them intently. I use it more for myself, Are you checking out what people are doing, seeing some nice places, looking at food. Um, and it's just learning to know, okay, this is what my Instagram is used for. You know, you may do it differently, but this is what I use it for, and there's no shame in that. Mm. Can I just say, for anyone who is listening to this and thinking, oh my goodness me, Mary Hans children sound so balanced around... <laughs> okay, let's be honest that obviously we have had our battles and our struggles around managing tech and devices. So this is not... Yeah. This is the yeah. aftermath. This it's is, the aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. And fair, I'm still to a point going... Well, yeah, it's always going through it, through, but yeah. Yeah. It's a process. It's a process. It is. So, okay. So what I would ask, so I would ask you as parents to bear this in mind, is that quite often, maybe we'll touch on this as well, is that at the time, let's talk about that this now, and then I'll go back to the question I was going to ask you about social media. So I know that as a as your parent, I have often sort of made comments like, you know, I'm not here to be your best friend and parenting is about making difficult choices. When you, obviously you're much older now and you're you are where you are what was the reality of going through that because i know i had conversations with you charles about the amount of time that you were on you know gaming or on minecraft and stuff like that and catherine with you with you know on multiple devices at the same time did that help or not and be be really honest because ultimately so many parents are grappling with tech they're worried that their children are going to be making friends with the wrong people online, that they're looking at the wrong things, that they're spending hours on them, they're not getting outside. They're worried about that they're not going to be able to make friends, they're isolated in their rooms. And obviously I probably towed quite a strict line when you think about both of you talking about when you got your social media at 13 upwards. You know, there'll be parents listening to this who, who are struggling with their eight or nine-year-old trying to keep them off social media. Yeah. How do you feel your relationship with tech is as a result of the way that you were parented and as a, or how you were, your personality? I feel like you can, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink. You know, you can tell your children all the right things but until it clicks within them, you, it's not, you're never going to be able to, I don't know how to 
word it. You know, you've got to. They've got to be the one that put it all yeah, together. You can't. You can't force it into no. them. But how can you? Because obviously, part of the issue is part parenting is creating these the framework for which your children operate. I think it's also educating them as opposed to kind of teaching and obviously it's learning, you know, as a parent as well, it's learning yourself the side of social media. For example, obviously you talk about kind of being careful. Obviously we are very careful and, you know, I got it at a slightly older age so I I know the quite signs to look out for and some, you know, some, you know, dodgy kind of not exactly showing their true colours. And I've unfortunately learned that the harsh way a couple of times. However, it's learning as a parent and as a um, and as a child that there's two sides to the social media. There's the side which is you know not the happy side, quite dark, and you know that's not where you want to be in there. However, as a parent, you don't want to constantly be going on your child. You can't talk to this person. You don't know them because I myself have had amazing friendships that have been formed over the last year of us in lockdown. You know, I've I've reached out to people and I've connected with people over a common interest. And yes, you know, ultimately they could be sketch. However, it's trusting yourself and equally having trust from the parent that what you say obviously to a point you're putting a boundary on it however there's two sides to it that's quite interesting then okay so i think what you're saying is it's about as a parent being educated because i know i probably been quite guilty and slightly catastrophizing the whole tech thing like oh my goodness me you don't know i'm not saying this is like parents especially but i think parents who haven't grown up with it is a reality i'm not saying that you know every single you know young person's like you know obsessed with tech however growing up with something like instagram and snapchat you know there are precautions that for example charles and i know that maybe you as a parent or other parents maybe aren't, aren't aware of and in that respect you need your child to help educate you but to a point you need to then educate the child and say no actually this is the restrictions we're going to put in place to make sure i can check for example messages getting saved for 24 hours instead of being being seen and gone I do that with mine even as a you know 18 I like to have that in place if anything happens I can say no actually I've got it's a peace of mind thing but it's about a relationship between the parent and the child and instead of like maybe the parent just like kind of constantly talking to their children about it learning to get that the children may have the child may have some actually valuable advice to the parent as well yeah it's a two-way street I think yeah, and particularly you've touched on a really important bit is that obviously I've not grown up with any of this tech. I mean, this whole, all of it has evolved through my adult life. And I, I mean, I don't even use Snapchat, so I wouldn't have any idea about it. So it's that educating both sides, isn't it? Making sure that as a parent, you're educated and informed so that you can then educate and inform yeah. your children. Would you add anything to that, Charles? There'll be dangers which younger people who have been on these sites for longer are able to identify perhaps better than parents are able to identify them. And I think... It's the conversation between the two which needs to happen. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. I've got another question. Okay. All right. So, do you notice the difference or remember the feeling of difference in how they were raised versus their friends? So this is quite an it. So this is the whole kind of comparison of so and so is allowed to do this or so and so gets to do that. That we all remember grandma saying, if your friend jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? Catherine, do you? When you reflect back, do you remember there being yeah. differences? I'm not gonna lie, I still, to a point, see it now. I was talking to a friend the other day and we were speaking about life skills. And obviously, I pre mentioned about cooking, for example. And, you know, I'm quite proficient as Charles, you know, in making food from scratch, you know, making even just like a simple dish like pasta to go from even just like tomatoes to make a tomato sauce. I've been quite valuable, you know, valuable life lessons, which are, which are lovely. 
and I remember speaking to a friend and she was like, well, I can't even make a cheese on toast. And it was that real like, oh, 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 okay. But it, there's some stuff, obviously, that's, you know, like the nice side, not to, it feels quite nice to have those girls, but equally there's the side that was, was always a tiny bit jealous to a point. You know, mum was quite straight and actually I'm glad that she did this. Um, I wasn't allowed my phone in my room while I slept until I was about, till, till I was 18, properly. <laughs> and it's been, it was lovely, especially the last couple of weeks at college to have that strictness and to have that routine it has been wonderful but I feel like as a parent as well you're constantly you know when your child if your child came home oh yeah but so and so is allowed to do this there's probably going to be an element of guilt but it's it's kind of accepting that what you're doing maybe isn't right by the child's friends but if you're strong in the belief of you know this is what I'm doing there shouldn't be any shame in that how hard is that though when you're getting those messages that your friends have got their phones in their room and they're able to message and you're possibly feeling left out it is quite hard <laughs> it's quite hard especially obviously getting that snapchat young as snapchat at a slightly older age and having kind of not missed out but kind of left out of a lot of conversations because of that however it's then just valuing like other things for example obviously you know my phone not being in my room i learned to actually just pick up a book to relax and unwind instead of going on my phone constantly and I'm still carrying that now and it is lovely because you discover things because of for example I'm using the example of my phone being downstairs but I discovered my love of reading again because my phone wasn't allowed in my room right so is that do you remember there being a lot of that comparison with your friends when you were younger yeah and I feel like as even now it's definitely like talking to different people just about anything to do with our childhood there is always going to be some comparisons and there's always going to be like, oh yeah, but my mum had this, or you know, my parents did this. And I think it's just learning to accept that your parents raised you a certain way. And while it may not be the same as someone else, you know, if you came out all right, or if you came out the way you are, it's the way you are. And you shouldn't feel guilt or shame as to how you got there. Do you remember that I used to say, I'm sure it probably was annoying, but you can decide whether it was. I used to, do you remember I say, different families have different rules, and the rules in our house are, was that really annoying? Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> But you come out on the other side, it gives you a wider understanding when you're older that yes, families do it different ways, but other cultures, other situations happen differently for different people. It gives you that breadth of experience that, right, so in this experience, this might be right, but if for others, this is completely alien or wrong. It's the similar to Catherine about the toasty. I mean, I've gone to uni and I've had to show friends who would perhaps have been let out when I wasn't let out when I was younger, I've had to show them how to use a washing machine, for example. <laughs> and it's, you know, it swings on roundabouts. So it is. But when you think back to your childhood, Charles, have you got some real vivid memories of that comparison of, oh, God, my friends get to do this? And yeah, I, it was yeah. the um, friends down the road with the vinyl video games. It was the, all the Call of Duties that they were, would regularly get every year. I... We would we had a Wii with Mario Kart, you know, but <laughs> but I, we played together. We Mario played Kart together. was brilliant. I could I could play that with my sister. I couldn't really play Call of Duty Zombies with my sister, you know. So it's there's benefits yeah. to it. But at the time, at it the was... time, it was infuriating, obviously, because all your friends at school are talking about the latest game, which you which I wasn't able to play, or the latest whatever going out, and I wasn't able to do, but. You know, you're never going to be able to do everything you want to do, so... Did you... How did you learn to navigate that? Because there'll be parents listening to this who feel that they that they want to enforce certain boundaries around things, who are then really worried that their children are going to miss out, or who are allowing children to do things because they're worried that they're going to be sort of scarred by being excluded. As someone who was 
I guess, excluded because you weren't playing Call of Duty, you weren't able to go out. How did you navigate that? Do you Did it really end up... Not really, because there's other families who had the same rules. So I made friends with them and we discussed things that we had common interests in. There's always going to be people out there who are brought up in a similar situation and with mutual interests, common interests, which you're able to talk about with. Yeah, so it's not... Okay, so from a parent's perspective, as is always the case, logically we can we can reason this, can't we? we? We can know that our children aren't going to be the only ones not allowed to do these things. But obviously, as a child, surely your job is to go home and make your parent think that you really are the only child and how traumatised you are and how... But actually, it's it's not something that it's not something that necessarily you want to admit. But obviously, let's say you know it's different. Child had a similar like set of rules. It's and if it's something that goes against the norm, for example, if we use like Call of Duty, it definitely goes against that idea of kind of oh you know I don't really want to admit that I haven't got it. So if I just kind of stay silent and agree, because I think you'd be surprised if you actually got children to admit honestly. There's probably a lot of things that they don't admit to because it is not a feeling of guilt, but it's I think oh I want to be accepted. So if I just say yes. Or if I just say that I do, they'll like me. And so obviously, with, if your child comes home, it's like, oh, you know, I haven't got a new game. Chances are they aren't the lonely. They aren't the only one. You know, there there are going to be people. They just maybe not admitting it. Also, it also the some families having different rules adds to the excitement of going to someone else's house. Exactly. Because it's right, <laughs> no, because it's stuff which you wouldn't ordinarily have at home. It's different in one house, different to a different friend, who's different to a different friend, and all of those friends are different to yours. And, you know, yeah. it, and I think it adds to it. You know, it's different in each household. No, and I, yeah, I remember the neighbour just down the road that you quite loved and used to go to because they had Call of Duty. Yeah. No, not just that, but food, drink, house, guard, anything. Yeah. Every house is different, and I think that adds to it. You're never going to be able to provide the same lifestyle for your child as every other one of their friends actually yeah when you think that that's quite that is important yeah. isn't it just because you've chosen within your family not to have that not to that those sort of rules and not be able to do certain things doesn't mean that your child then isn't able to experience yeah, the fizzy exactly. drinks the junk food or whatever no, it is yeah. or the sweets at someone if, else's house if a child really wants to experience something they can probably get hold of it <laughs> or they're able to do it within reason yeah within, within reason yeah okay all right, next question then. Do you think there is a lot of pressure on you to achieve academically? Not from me, not from Mary Hand, but society. And what do you then think of job prospects? And I would say, actually, I would ask you to answer that question honestly from the perspective of me and also societally. Do you feel that there's a huge pressure to perform well academically, Charles? I don't feel the pressure to perform well academically. I feel the pressure to make sure I perform at the best of my ability academically. It's not the make sure I go out and get a top first. It's to make sure I hit what I'm capable of. That I feel the pressure of, but I don't feel like that's a bad pressure to have at all. Where does that come from? Is that societally or is that for me? I guess it's all of it, isn't it? It's I need to have good grades to make sure that I can get on to the next level get a good job so I can provide for my family and also being brought up with the you've got to do you know you've got to apply yourself you've got to do things you wouldn't perhaps enjoy to achieve these grades which are going to help you later down the line so it's a mix of you know pressure comes from everywhere how do you handle that pressure I don't (laughs) (laughs) Um, you've got you've got to find appropriate releases because not everyone can handle total pressure all the time. You've got to work out 
like when I've actually got to work and when am I able to take the foot off the gas a little bit and just breathe and finding appropriate um, ways to relax and unwind. I feel like that is the best way to deal with stress or the pressure. There's just no when to foot off the gas. Do you think that that was something that you learnt growing up or has it been something that you've learnt experientially? Because you've talked a lot about the for you a lot of the lessons that you've that you've really learned and that you've really stuck with have come from you making your own mistakes in some ways. Yeah. With the with the pressures around that kind of academics and managing those pressures and those stresses, do you think that's something that you've learned growing up? It's something which I would, which has been developed as I've grown up through teachers, through experiences, through friends as well. Seeing them perform well is also an incentive to do well. Seeing them not do terribly well as incentive to do well as well so it's been for you it's been very much about learning yeah I feel like I learn the best when it happens to me or when I when I experience it when I see it when it happens to me rather than being told or or lectured to by your mother yeah a little bit (laughs) okay Catherine I think I'm a very competitive person and equally as mum well again as everyone will say I, I don't like to be wrong and so that's so true she doesn't like to be wrong and she's definitely competitive so I like to have for myself I like to obviously push myself to make sure I'm getting like the highest grades academically and make sure that I'm doing well by myself you know how is it two days ago I ended up having my A-level results out and I, I thankfully got into my university but I knew that I wanted to do well by myself and because I was always pushing like okay I didn't get that grade okay I'll do another essay I'll practice it I'll send it over okay what's not right let me work on that because I wanted to be the best and to a point there's a bit of I wanted to be the best for myself but also I wanted to beat just kind of just not everyone but I wanted to <laughs> she wanted to beat her brother I wanted to beat my brother and I got the I, I got I got it so I don't I don't have to you know but yeah it's learning to just you know like Charles said find like healthy releases as well you know doing my time I've done ballet horse running it's then finding that release to kind of be like okay I can you know detach from what's going on at college what go- what's going on at school and find a medium to get that stress out so know that you're not like just a foot on the gas all the time you have that break how did you manage because i hope you i know that you won't mind me saying this you haven't always been so dedicated to your studies oh, no, i was what I was. shifted for you so i as your mum i would say the shift went from gcse's to a levels mm. where was that what made that shift? I think, obviously, you know, teachers would tell you, oh, the jump up from, you know, GCSEs to A-levels is massive. And, you know, I think everyone was like, oh, this, it's not going to be that big. And when we got that, when I got to A-levels, it was the first couple of months. I was like, oh, okay. And then we had December, so December in uh, first year, we had December standards. And I thought I was performing at an okay level. I ended up getting two years in two subjects. I was like, they catch you off guard, don't they? they and that's the thing that really caught me off guard. guard. And the psychology, did, you know, thankfully I had a wonderful mother who is a psychologist to help me get through that. Um, I had but, nothing to do with it. <laughs> but um, for that, it was a real like kick to actually go, okay, I need to get going. I need to get things sorted. And I think that's that was the moment when I got those two years. I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not putting in as much effort as. I want to see getting back if that makes sense. Mm. You know, I thought I was putting in, you know, enough, but like I wasn't you know, I wasn't putting in enough to get the results back. And that's the moment like I knew, okay, I was doing extra work. I ended up seeing a couple of my teachers like one to one to make sure I was getting the best grades. And it was nice also to get recognition from the lecturers. You know, I went to quite a small college. So it was nice to see them going, Okay, you're really applying yourself, you're really getting this extra work done. And for me it was that that was quite an uplifting moment to then 
push me to carry on. Yeah, definitely. What I'm here, what I think I'm hearing from both of you is that it's about kind of, it's not about what your parents tell you to do. It's about learning through your own experiences and then understanding about that, putting that extra work in. And I would say for those that are listening, you know, I have been there with these two trying to do their spellings and their <laughs> book reading and the tears and tantrums around homework. So please don't think that this, that what you're hearing now is because they've always been brilliant at homework. I've, We've I've, had I've massive battles. I've had, I can have a distinct memory of me being in a car getting and like being in tears like 10 15 minutes before I go into school because I couldn't say out loud like I can't spell out loud. I still can't do it now just like I can't spell words out loud and I still and I one word the helicopter I I just I remember I have a distinct memory of being sat in the car and being said how do you spell helicopter and I just couldn't do it so it's not all well you're what you're hearing now it's not all oh you know la, da, da. there has been moments where we've both been like oh this is awful well, we still do we still yeah, do yeah, yeah. I mean, uni's not easy and you'll find that out next year yeah <laughs> if I remember memory <laughs> I want to touch on something that you said because I know that there'll be parents listening to this who've got children and siblings so let's dig the dirt on sibling rivalry so Catherine's made the comment that she wanted to beat her brother and that and you know I don't know it's not I've talked about this in a blog post previously that when grandma used to look after the pair of you when I was studying I used to come and collect you and grandma and then you two'd start playing up and grandma would always say well they're behaving perfectly fine until you got here and I know that you both have a very distinct view about how I amplify sibling arguments so Charles do you want to touch on this because I know that you've pulled me to one side a couple of times about this <laughs> about me okay that you've told told me before that when I get involved in trying oh. to oh. yeah it's, it's conflict resolution isn't it it's yeah, big words I think it's learning obviously I don't know but obviously we've had Charles and I have had you know our arguments and I think dare I say it the best the times that we've both kind of cooled down and come back the level head it's actually not been when you've kind of tried to intervene because Charles and I both know what's going on is we know the full story. It's not kind of, and obviously I've had moments where I've rang, like crying to mum. Obviously, you at some point you are going to need the parents to intervene, but it doesn't have to necessarily be every single time. You know, most of the time, Charles and I will take some time to call off, and they'll come and be like, "Oh, you want to get some food?" I'm like, "Yeah, okay, let's go." And that's how it wears off, no, as opposed yeah. to parents getting involved. And in, you know, sometimes as you know, we've had our arguments. It's been made worse by a parent getting involved, but that doesn't mean that all the time parents just sit back and go, okay, I'm not going to get involved with no, this. No, you've hit the nail on the head again. It's, <laughs> if you live with someone, you're bound to argue with them, regardless of whether they're your sibling, parent, child, you know, you're going to, there's going to be conflict. And it's not personal whenever, it wasn't, I don't think it was I, personal, I don't think even now it's not personal. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope it isn't yeah. personal. So, like, I hope it's not personal. But yeah, it's, there's going to be arguments. They need, we need a time to be, bit separate to cool down and come back to it and forgive each other most of the time so parents need to get out of the way no not all the time there needs to be times when you need to read the situation obviously jump in but joining a con join it for example you coming to grandma's when Catherine and I have been fine and then we'd start acting up probably was towards the end of an arm so there was this context which you might not see as a parent there's going to be stuff which you're children are going to do out of your eye shot, out your ear shot, which you're not going to pick up on, you're not going to see, you're not going to hear, which lay the groundwork for the later arguments, for the scraps, for the little niggles. Yeah. 
and it's being aware that you might not have the whole picture when you come in as a parent. If you see one child crying, it's quite easy to go, oh, the one who's not crying from the wrong. <laughs> when it might not, you know, it's... We've had that many times. Might not, <laughs> might not necessarily yeah. be. What about the inevitable who lo- you love? I- I'm keeping it... I'm going to let Catherine finish that. Because <laughs> Catherine has a saying. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously we joke about saying that, you know, mum loves Charles more. However, you know, when I think push comes to shove, mum, you know, she does love us both equally. However, you know, I always joke and say, you know, there's a favourite, you know, there's a bias towards Charles, but, and I'm saying, oh, Charles, you should do this. And I get, like, to a point he's older. But, I mean, I still believe that there's a tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny bias towards Charles. But that's not to say that she doesn't love me. I just was that it's not that she, you know, discards me in the corner. <laughs> she still loves me. It's just a tiny point. I feel like Charles has loved slightly more. And so untrue. But that, I guess what I wanted you, the reason why I wanted Catherine to make that comment was for people to hear that, you know, yeah. it's normal, isn't I it, for children there's, there's, to feel? We joke about it because it is a bit of a joke. I'm not sat here, you know, going upstairs every night going, oh my God, mum doesn't love me as much. I need to figure out how I can be, like, better than Charles. It's none of that. It's just a little joke that we do and it doesn't, I hope it doesn't affect Charles and I hope it doesn't affect you. No. <laughs> but, and it's learning that, you know, as a child, you're probably, children are probably going to have those jokes and they're probably going to have jokes that the parents aren't really in on, as in they don't really fully understand it. Yeah. To the point, yeah. You have an inside joke about my stressy veins in my neck when I get angry. (laughs) (laughs) Right, last couple of quick fire questions then. So how do you think your mum helped you the most? Probably letting me fail. I feel like you learn a lot in that. And it's not always, oh, this is the right way to do it. It's showing me, it's letting me cock it up so that I have those experiences or oh, so this is actually how I need to do it how I need to approach it differently I feel like that is the most valuable thing you can teach someone is how to fail properly okay perfect Catherine I think also to a point not being a helicopter parent or not being a parent that's constantly like I said letting them fail but also in other aspects is letting them discover things for themselves letting them kind of go off and go okay you know to a point of failure, but okay, you want to go off, I know, even if it's a small, it's okay, you want to go meet your friends in town, I mean, okay, that's fine, and letting them discover themselves, as opposed to going, no, you are going to do this, no, you are going to do that, because that way, you know, the child can find, you know, what they want to do, I've been blessed by the fact that my mum, you know, she doesn't want me to kind of go off and be like, you will study this at university, you know, I've been able to be like, okay, you know, I'd love to study this. Like, yeah, I'll support you 100% as opposed to saying, no, you are going to do this. You are going to do that. It's letting them be their own person. And I guess for parents to feel they're not... I guess a lot of the guilt is if we're not intervening and giving you the, the our wisdom that we're in somehow sort of failing, but actually by being able to take that step back and allowing you to learn from your own mistakes rather than being all over you for things that that's been more powerful definitely you learn a lesson I've I've always learned lessons more poignantly and they've stuck with me more when I've experienced them rather than someone's told me a lesson they've learned okay what is the best advice for parents today Catherine I think it's, it's it's a simple one but it's not always simple to carry out is do not stress too much you know Whatever happens, you know, we use the example of garden centre. It's not going to scar your child to the point of they're never going to be able to, you know, return to what they once were. You know, things go, you know, we should be dragged around garden centres, but, you know, I'll, I'll still walk in one now. It's not like I walk past and I, you know, have a, a fear that I can't go in. It's just learning that and knowing that you're not always, while it may feel maybe in the moment that you're not doing the right thing, it may come out that actually 
it is the right thing and you know, your child may be having you know, a crying fit but at the end of the day if you're strong in your belief and if you hold it there's not much that can deter you from that yeah so it's being more confident Charles is there anything confident and consistency maybe mm. I was always a big fan of consistency one rule the whole time so I knew I just knew it was continuous there wasn't going to be a chopping and changing I thought that was really important and helped me a lot yeah, even though at the time you probably hated it. Well, yeah, at the time it was fun, but, <laughs> you know, reach for wars later on. Um, next question then. How much screen time do you think is healthy? Well, I think it's zero, to be honest, but that's impossible these days. I'm guilty. I've spent like six, seven hours some days. You know, it's very, I think, as little as possible is the best answer I can give. Okay. I'm, I'm different in that respect. I think you can't say as little as possible, you know, a set amount of hours because it depends on the child. You know, you can't look at, you know, you can't you know, speak every single child and say, I want you to have four hours of screen time and that's that. You've got to look on kind of what you're doing. And I know that, um, for example, in terms of like, I don't know if you, you, know, you work quite a lot, you know, the child's not always going to have like constant stimulation. That like, it's okay to then put them and say, look, today's going to be a bit more on the screen time but then reduce it i think it's not a case of saying obviously as little as possible is lovely however in the reality that we live in especially you know if we ever go back to online learning with online learning going on it's tailoring it to the needs of the situation and not feel guilty if you know a parent goes oh you know my child only gets like three hours and so we'll have sat here with seven like it it just depends on the whole situation no i completely agree i'm coming for it from a slightly more cynical view i've spent a few more years on it and i feel I've looked fondly at memories of me sitting and reading more yeah. than I look fondly at art. Oh, remember that time I sat on my phone for eight hours rather than when I sat and demolished that book? You know, I yeah. feel you can get any experience on a phone better out in the real world. But, Do you yeah. think that's come with age, Charles, as yes. you've got older? Definitely. Without a doubt. I always wanted to just sit on my iPad, sit on my phone when I was younger. Yeah, without a doubt. Just get older, a bit more cynical. <laughs> too young to be cynical. No. Oh, can I thank you both so much? I think we could talk for ages. There's, there are still questions that I would love to ask you both. And maybe if you've enjoyed this, do please review uh, the podcast and particularly this episode. Do get in touch with us if you'd like us to do another one. I'm sure I could twist the children's arms to uh, answer some more questions. Well, we're home for some holidays. So. Yep. There we go then. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you both very much. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Charles. Thank you.